This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. I'm Aaron Gullius. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we explore concepts, events, or people from the world of flying saucers. No preconceptions, no snark, no belief, no debunking. This is Encounter 405. You see, there's this thing called the internet. Before we get started, we've got some housekeeping items to deal with. You may have noticed the new show art. This is courtesy of Jordan Bonaparte, who hosts the Nighttime Podcast. Check it out at nighttimepodcast.com for weird, creepy stories, true crime, stuff like that. Jordan, this summer, is also starting up a new show called UFOs Over Canada, which should be great. Also, there is still time to vote for the topic that will begin Series 5 in a few weeks, The 90s Strike Back. Go to twitter.com slash saucerlife and vote for one of four options there. Then, beginning this Thursday, there will be a runoff between the top two finishers. So, these are your four options. First, Bill Cooper, one of the most controversial names in 80s and 90s ufology, and probably the most significant missing link between the flying saucer world and the world of the right-wing militia movements of the 1990s. Uh, he was also a, a very angry liar and a whole lot of other things. He's, he's not great, but he's interesting. Second, the first season of The X-Files. What did it take from saucer culture? How did saucer culture react? What did it lose when it became popular, if anything? Third, the so-called exopolitics movement and how they were sort of the bizarre mutated offspring of the contactees and Donald Kehoe. And finally, 1997, one of the biggest years in flying saucer history, and we have all the major events for you. Now, we're going to get to all of those topics eventually. Maybe not all of them in our 90s Strike Back series, but all of them eventually. But I'm really interested in which one you folks think should come first. So go to Saucer Life on Twitter and let me know. Anyway, housekeeping done. So there wasn't always an internet. And obviously, there hasn't always been a world wide web. And depending on your age, this will either surprise you or not. Today, like many other aspects of our culture, it's difficult to imagine the flying saucer field existing without the internet. From news websites to social media and big open discussion boards to small sub-rosa groups communicating through email or, or on private, uh, private sites, the internet has facilitated unprecedented collaboration around this and many other paranormal topics. But once upon a time, all of this was new. And I'm not going to go into a long history of large computer networks, back to ARPANET and the like. But today, we're going to go back to the days before the World Wide Web and its enabling of the grubby populism of the internet as we know it here in the 21st century. I'm going to be a bit of an internet hipster slash curmudgeon today, so you've been warned. Let's log on. If you weren't part of a local flying saucer group or were, weren't writing for or publishing some kind of major zine, the earliest online message boards and the protocols upon which those operated were essential for getting the most up-to-date information about sightings, theories, new books, conventions, anything. 
But we're going to begin with a bit of a cheat, however, and return to the world of bulletin board systems that we visited in, in Encounter 201 when we met O.H. Krill. BBSs were mostly local, because back when you always had to pay per minute for long-distance phone calls, it was essential to have a system you could dial into without it you know, bankrupting you with the phone bill. But there's technology to connect local BBSs together into larger networks. And so there were often networks of networks out there. And there's one that was incredibly crucial for the flying saucer world of the 1980s and into the 1990s. And that was the BBS operated by Paranet Information Systems. It was founded in 1986 by a man named Jim Spicer and later most prominently run by Michael Corbin. And it would operate until the early 1990s when the internet finally sort of pushed BBSs out of the limelight. Paranet operated as a network of electronic BBSs that were piggybacked on a system called Fidonet and hosted several separate echoes, they were called, or message boards, or message threads, really. And the largest of these was devoted to UFOs and paranormal issues. And there was a separate one focused on the much narrower topic of UFO abductions. There was also a research echo or thread that was not open to the general public, but served as an online collaboration space for approved serious researchers. So beginning in August of 1989, Paranet began bundling the daily traffic from its UFO discussion list into a big text file and emailing it out as a digest known as the Paranet Info Newsletters or something like that. A similar digest for the abduction echo began... Um, in February of 1991, and both of these continued to be emailed out until March of 1993. Those newsletters have been archived and are on the web even today, so we can get a glimpse into what was going on, not just manifestos and theories, but conversations as well. And I should point out that many of the larger, more coherent posts from these early days have been passed down from server to server, from Gopher to FTP to the World Wide Web to discussion boards and social media, so we can relive some of those weird, heady days. And we'll be looking at a few examples of what I think are, if not significant, then certainly representative samples of what came through the Paranet BBS. And Paranet was, was amazing, not just for the bulletin board system, but also by, I think, 1994 is when they started. They started a radio show, the Paranet Continuum Radio Show, which Michael Corbin hosted and was run out of, I believe, Denver. If you go to archive.org, uh, the Internet Archive, there are a large number of Paranet radio shows up there for you to download, but they don't have a lot of metadata or descriptions. So it, it's sort of, you know, you click a file and you listen, and, and it might be something really cool or it might not. But the Paranet Radio Show, and, and this is a little aside here, but the Paranet Radio Show was really interesting, especially once you get into 1996 and 1997, as these are the years when, when Art Bell and Jeff Rents are sort of ruling the paranormal radio world with ever more outlandish and paranoid and strange and, and unsupported and, and oftentimes unsupportable stories. And Michael Corbin's Paranet Continuum show um, maintained this approach that he referred to as a skeptical believer approach. It was much more even-handed, much, um, much more rigorous. Not always entirely rigorous, but I think Corbin took 
guests to task a bit more and held them to a higher standard of having to explain and justify their ideas than someone like an Art Bell sometimes did. So go out and find the uh, the Paranet Continuum radio program if you can, and I'll, I'll I might put links to a couple a couple episodes up on the uh, the website as well or out on Twitter. So anyway, that's the radio show. So anyway, we're, we're going to look at some examples of the sort of material that uh, was out there on the Paranet BBS. And I'm going to try hard not to duplicate things um, from our earlier encounter with O.H. Krill. Uh, and rest assured that we've got episodes in the future that deal in-depth with figures like Bill Cooper. Um, right now, as of this recording, he is winning the poll handily. And guys like Bill English and Bill Moore. Another aside, everyone in the 50s was named George but everyone in the 80s and 90s UFO scene was apparently named Bill. Lots of Bills. So we're not going to repeat the O.H. Krill stuff, but some of it's going to sound familiar because a lot of this tended to sound sort of samey during the 80s and 90s, so be warned. One of the great files that was circulated on Paranat and, and would remain on the UFO web was from Don Ecker, who would go on to, who is, would not go on to be part of UFO Magazine, was part of UFO Magazine at the time, and a very long-standing paranormal radio host right up to this day. In 1990, he uploaded a purported interview with a three-star general about a whole range of topics. And he, uh, this general was interviewed by a man with the pseudonym Bill, seriously, another Bill, who was supposedly an active-duty colonel in an unspecified branch of the military, who asked all these questions that all of us saucer fiends were dying for answers to. For example, here's a question. Have you read the book The Roswell Incident? What did you think of the book, and just how true is it? Bill, as I promised you, I used my contacts and several favors due me over the years, and I found out extremely sensitive information which absolutely verifies the information as stated in The Roswell Incident. The book intrigued me as I read it. At first, I felt the facts, or should I say information in the book, was just there to sell it and make our government out to be the bad guy, as so many books do today. However, the public has been lied to for over 40 years. This bothers me a great deal, but decisions were made decades ago. The situation, in my opinion, is totally out of hand. Around four months ago, I called in several favors. I was given documents, allowed to view videotape, given photographs, base locations, and I was even asked to participate in an awareness program, which is to disseminate alien contact to the public. I turned down the offer. When I did, I was sort of an outcast, and I found friends of 30 years had no time for me. I soon was limited to all forms of information. Hell, every time I requested anything through normal channels, it was either lost or delayed for higher approval. This was normal, everyday decisions, which were never questioned before. I gave over 30 years of faithful and loyal service to the, this great country of ours. Who in the do these political think they are anyway? I kind of knew what, what I might get myself into. I always had my suspicions, and I, I hadn't heard rumors about alien spacecraft that crashed, bodies found, alien craft shot down, UFO evidence stored in special buildings on certain military bases. I just never really took it seriously. I know it is true. I've seen the evidence. I've seen the alien craft, the frozen bodies from the Roswell site, and I've seen on videotape the live alien, which is a guest of the U.S. government. 
golly, that's confirmation of all our suspicions. Amazing. Very handy that all of that was there in that one file. The aliens' reasons for visiting Earth, according to our three-star friend, are coincidentally similar to other theories and ideas that were floating around at the time. The purpose of alien visitation to this planet is one of curiosity and scientific research, not world domination as some would have you believe. Cattle and humans have been used in alien and U.S. research for various biological applications. Most humans are not hurt in this research. Some, however, have died due to complications and downright carelessness. Several crossbreed young have been born to both human females and alien females. We as humans are fully biologically compatible with most visiting aliens. Some we are not. More than one type or species of alien has visited this planet. They are listed by category. This information I could not retrieve. We also see some explanations for numerous reports of men in black or witness harassment experiences over the years. Also, there are special teams which eradicate, discredit, harass, and trump up charges to control humans which experience any visitations from aliens or make verifiable UFO sightings. This is one of the reasons I retired. It's too much for any government to impose upon the civilian population. Three Star also goes into the large number of missing children in the U.S. every year, being partially the result of alien abduction, as well as the old standby stories of secret treaties between earthly nations and alien ones. Now, even though he mentions, you know, hybrids, as we might call these crossbreed aliens, and experimentation, which could account for mutilations, he mentions the, the cattle, this idea that they are not here to conquer us or to take us over, but that they are here to you know, just as scientific curiosity and experimentation does sort of differentiate this from, um, from things like the, the Krill document and John Lear's, uh, John Lear's things that we saw in the, in the Krill episode. But it's all coming from the same sort of stock. Like the Krill information, uh, Three Star presents a, a scenario that, that is kind of grim, especially with the government wiping out witnesses. Don Ecker, who initially uploaded these interviews to Paranet, addresses the skepticism that many felt about the story that was told in this interview. Okay, what does this mean? In my opinion, it means that something damn strange is indeed going on. So, that means the only way to find out is investigate and investigate some more. Knowledge is power. So the reason I've uploaded these files is that maybe someone out there in computer land, and you'd be really surprised where Paranet does go, will have a missing piece of the puzzle, and better yet, will contact one of we happy little band of investigators with proof. And by the way, to those good-meaning folk that have written me email just because I put something up here, it does not mean that I think this is what is really happening. Always read what I have to say about the file in advance. In this case, I've stated that there is high strangeness in this one, but no proof that it's legitimate. I gotta say, I have mixed feelings about that approach. On the one hand, yes, with something as weird as all of this, all of the things surrounding the flying saucer field, answers could come from any direction and from a variety of sources. So casting a wide net for as much information as possible can, can actually be pretty wise. On the other hand, at some point, one gets overwhelmed with nonsense and the signal-to-noise ratio reaches a point where finding a direction becomes very difficult, if not impossible. But, this is important, we should remember that all of this was relatively new in 1990. If you've heard of MJ-12 and the MJ-12 documents, those weren't even 10 years old. 
at this point. So this is this is new stuff. And it, but if you're one of the olds like me, this seems like yesterday. But it's been almost three decades, nearly half a lifetime since these stories started circulating, it in, in the way that they did. Both the theories presented and the notion of a global network where enthusiasts could hash out these theories were new. A lot of this sounds like very retro, silly, 90s paranoia. But in 1990, it wasn't new, and it wasn't that silly at all. Paranet's bulletin board system and newsletter by 1993 became obsolete and were replaced by two corresponding Usenet news groups, alt.paranet.ufo and alt.paranet.abduct, both of which are still functioning to this day. Wait. Usenet news groups? What? Some of you know what these are. Some of you may still be using them. I know I do for various things, including checking out what people are saying on alt Paranet UFO? The answer is not much. It's mostly pharmaceutical spam at this point. But Usenet was a system of discussion boards that predated the World Wide Web and actually began in 1979 as a project by two Duke University grad students. They developed a program called Net News that linked Duke with the University of North Carolina. And this software was soon made available to the public. As the system grew during the 1990s, the traffic became too much for the original software to handle, and two students, one at UC Berkeley and the other a high school student, created a link between these Usenet or Net News discussion groups and ARPANET, which was the government-operated internet um, precursor of the time. Out of all of this would come something called UUNet, which was one of the very first commercial ISPs, or internet service providers. Now, I don't know if anybody calls their cable company or wherever they get the internet an ISP anymore, but seeing the just the initials ISP just took me back. I, I got kind of nostalgic. Managing all of this was a group that called itself the Backbone Cabal, which sounds really sinister, actually. And this was a group of administrators who promoted coordination between all of the different Usenet server hosts and approving new discussion groups within a very rigid hierarchy of, of topics, science, computers, technology. And pretty soon, there were people who wanted to discuss things that were not part of any of this original hierarchy. And in 1987, the alt hierarchy was created to be used for discussions of what one history of Usenet called sensitive, controversial, or otherwise taboo issues, end quote, like flying saucers or Star Trek fan fiction, not that I'd know anything about that. These groups had to be accessed with special software, and there was a separate internet protocol used. It was NNTP. You know how you type sometimes, or you used to, HTTP for websites? NNTP was Net News Transfer Protocol. My first experiences with the internet back in 1994 at college were with Usenet groups, as well as something called Gopher. And alt.alien.visitors was the first place that I found information that was sort of like what I'd read in actual books, but more raw, less filtered, and much more exciting. Most of which was actually, unbeknownst to me, recycled from the Paranet BBS. But it was all just revelatory and very troubling. 
Some of it was just funny and sinister and weird all at the same time, such as this December 1990 um, post entitled Statement of Purpose from the sinisterly named Scott. We have been among you for years. We control your societies, your governments, and your minds. I have decided to defect. No embassy could possibly protect me from my people, so I have decided to go public. I hope to protect myself by informing the world. We controlled Ramses II, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Constantine, the popes, and other world leaders. We grew John Kennedy, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, and Dan Quayle in vats. Our agents include the Beatles, six members of the Supreme Court, Dan Rather, Mr. T, and Cher. We have made ourselves indistinguishable from humans. Our goal is the pacification and domination of humanity. When complete docility has been bred into you, you will be used as cheap labor in our fields and factories, which we will have taken from you. You cannot stop us, because you cannot know us. I am your only hope. Watch for me. That's kind of creepy. It evokes the darker stories of the time with an alien race manipulating humanity throughout its history. What was great about the unmoderated nature of Usenet was that posts like this would appear from time to time and then be answered by writers who perhaps sought to subvert the serious, grim nature of the narrative. Scott, my child, desperately sorry to have misled you so over all these years. Soon all will be explained. In the meantime, calm down and stop lying to the humans. There were, of course, some big stories that got endlessly rehashed on all alien visitors. Bill Cooper's epic exposés of the secret government and the equally epic denunciations of Cooper were one such example. Every new person who shows up on the news group would say, I've read this thing by Bill Cooper. Is he telling the truth? And then everybody would pile on and say, no, no, he's not. And don't believe that Krill thing either. John Lear's theories were another one that noobs would bring up and, and want to know about. There were also some downright amazing masterpieces posted there. One is a text file so large it had to be posted in 30 parts called Lear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, it was by an investigative journalist named Lars Hansen, and it was an expose of John Lear and Bill Cooper, who Hansen had some dealings with, and it portrays both men as, as something of con artists and especially framed an image of Bill Cooper as sort of angry and potentially violent and John Lear as being particularly sleazy. These documents, like many others, sparked seemingly endless debate. Some posts were seemingly completely pointless, and I don't know why they were there. Here's an example. In 1994, Representative Stephen Schiff, a Republican from New Mexico, requested that the General Accounting Office investigate whether or not there had been a cover-up of an alien saucer crash near Roswell in 1947. In April of that year, psychologist and researcher Richard Boylan, who at some point needs an entire episode devoted to him, posted this message. Dear Mr. President, please lend the full support of your staff and office to the current GAO investigation underway at the request of Congressman Schiff, which is inquiring into documents pertaining to the Army Air Corps recovery of a crashed UFO near Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. The public deserves to know the full truth about this most significant part of our history. Thank you. Sincerely, 
Richard J. Boylan, PhD. Now, there was no request that readers send this message to the president or anything. I kind of wonder if Boylan thought that Bill Clinton was just sort of sitting there in the Oval Office scrolling through Usenet looking for messages about things. So why does this all matter? Silly messages on the internet, Rich Boylan, you know, demanding that the GIO thing revealed the truth about Roswell, somebody denunciating some other people who've already denounced something else. I just realized that denunciate is not actually a word. Why does it all matter? Why am I spending time talking about this? Because if you look at the world of saucers on the internet today, it isn't too terribly different. It's still here. As I record this, the most recent posts on all alien visitors are mostly by someone with the handle walk and roll and seem to be demands that UFO debunkers be carefully regulated and have their posts monitored. There's also a post by someone who apparently thinks they've discovered a hot new talent in the abduction field named David Jacobs, who, for those of you who don't know, actually published his first UFO book in the 1970s and has been one of the leading abduction phenomenon researchers since the 1990s. Any, anyone here been reading Walking Among Us by Dr. David Jacobs? That and, and his previous books follow up on the work of Bud Hopkins. Are we sitting ducks for the day the hybrids come to round us up using mind control? It seems that the FBI and NSA should be following the abductees and figuring out what to do about it. I think I would like to see them detain the hybrids living among us, if that's possible. I would even say that killing them would be necessary, but we don't know the extent of the hybridization program. I have a feeling that in the next presidential election, there are going to be people who want candidates to offer their opinions about rounding up the aliens once we know the extent of the hybridization program. And so it goes. Like a Mobius strip, there is no beginning and no ending to the stories that get recirculated, to the stories that get rehashed and denounced and denied and debunked and presented all over again as if none of the discussion or debate had ever happened. On various prominent UFO Facebook groups I've seen, discussion boards I've seen, every so often somebody says, hey, I'm new to all this and I haven't read many books but I've seen some YouTube videos and I've heard about a guy named Bill Cooper or I've heard about John Lear or I've heard about O.H. Krill and the Krill documents. How much of this is true? And those of us who've been around since a long time ago roll our eyes and some of us, if we're feeling generous, post a nice, concise explanation of why they need to dig a little more deeply. There are links to some of these posts and documents in the show notes. They're all worth checking out if you have some time to kill. Don Ecker is still hosting Paranormal Radio. You can check out Dark Matters Radio with Don Ecker on Friday and Saturday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. There's a link to it in the show notes as well. You can follow along with us at saucerlife.com and on Twitter and Instagram at saucerlife. Right now, through Thursday on Twitter, is a poll about upcoming show topics, so go have your say. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Saucer Life on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and on your preferred podcast app through the RSS feed on the website. The Saucer Life is written and produced by me, Aaron Gullius, and also featured Nelson Sinat. It is a Chizo Media production. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you. <laughs>